Good morning. Welcome to the Church of the Palms. My name is Jack Reynolds, and I serve as a Stephen minister in our congregation. This is the Lord, this is the day the Lord has made. Let us bow our heads as we prepare for worship. Almighty God, we pray for your blessing on the church in this place. Here may the faithful find salvation and the careless be awakened. Here may the doubting find faith and the anxious be encouraged. Here may the tempted find help and the sorrowful comfort. Here may the weary find rest and the strong be renewed. Here may the aged find consolation and the young be inspired. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen. Now as we worship together, may our hearts receive his Holy Spirit, our ears listen to his word, and our voices be raised in the praise of the glory of God.
Let us stand for the call to worship. O oh, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord all the earth, sing to the Lord, bless his name, tell of his salvation from day to day, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Let us worship God.
The gospel calls us to turn away from sin and walk in obedience to Christ. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Therefore, with humble hearts, let us turn ourselves toward the Eternal One. As we offer ourselves to Him in penitence and faith, we renew our confidence and trust in His mercy because we know that He accepts the sincere prayers of all who call on Him. Let us pray. Merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart and mind and strength. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. In your mercy, forgive what we have been, help us amend what we are, and direct us shall be, so that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Our God is a holy God. He is also a loving Father who is slow to anger and full of compassion. He forgives all who humbly repent and trust in his Son as Savior and Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Friends, believe the good news of the gospel. In Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. And now with believers across the globe and down through the ages, let us state what we believe using the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, and the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. And now we invite you to turn and greet your neighbors, especially those you may not have met yet.
You beat me. <laughs> Good, morning. Good morning. Welcome to Church of the Palms. We're so glad you're with us this morning, and we are especially grateful if you perhaps are a recent visitor with us or perhaps the first-time visitor. We are grateful that you're with us and hope that you will find this to be a place of hospitality and welcome, and we would love to get to know you by your signing the friendship pads, which are in the pews, and pass those along to your neighbor and note those folks who are sitting near you. Perhaps you can continue the conversation you just started underneath the tree afterwards. It's a beautiful day, so we'll have a great time underneath the tree for some fellowship. Today is Boy Scout Sunday, yay. Um, and we have uh, Boy Scouts about greeting and uh, participating in various ways here on this Sunday morning, so we are grateful for them. And on page six, you'll see the names of those Boy Scouts. And we are delighted by that. How about everybody, any, any of you guys have ever been a Boy Scout? Stand up. <laughs> All right, give them a round of applause, yeah. How many of you can fit into your Boy Scout uniform? No, I won't. <laughs> I see a couple of you fitting in your Boy Scout uniform, so that's good. Jeff McCauley is uh, here to do a great presentation for one of our Boy Scouts who has earned another award. So come on up, Jeff, and do the honors. Come on, it is a good morning. All right. Well, we are very excited to be here today. It is, like Steve said, Boy Scout Sunday. And uh, every once in a while, one of the great joys of my ministry is that I get to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with some of our students. And this is really special for me because Alexander's not quite in the youth group yet. But because of his commitment to scouting and to his faith, uh, he and I have been able to meet over the past five months as he's worked on another pin for his, um, for his scouting career. So uh, the, a few months ago, you may have seen me up here with Walter Homeister. We do something uh, through Boy Scouts called, um, called God and, and then there's God and me, God and family, God and church, and God and life. It's a four-step process to helping our scouts understand how their faith applies, not only to their time here in church, but their life and, and in their world. And so Alexander and I have been meeting for the past five months or so talking through the God and family. And God and family is all about how God has ordained your family to be a part of not only God's plan for your life, but the world. And how your faith and your family go like this. And they work together. And so over the past five months, we've spent a lot of time talking about family. And we actually built a pizza together made out of cardboard. It's not real pizza. It'd be really gross if over five months we made the same pizza. So uh, over the past five months, we've been working on this pizza together and talked about the different ingredients that go into making a pizza and how our families and our faith are kind of like those ingredients, how we need those commitments with our family and we need those friends, we need those people in our lives that really make the whole pizza. One ingredient by itself doesn't make a pizza, it just makes a green pepper. But a green pepper with cheese and crust and sauce and all that makes a pizza, a delicious pizza. And so that's what we've been talking about. And Alexander, I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. Thank you so much for the time that we've gotten to spend together. And I hope we can do this again soon as you continue on into your uh, scouting career. Just a point of, point of fact, this is really interesting. Only 2% of Eagle Scouts complete the God and 
program all the way through, 2%. So he's halfway there. And he's only in what, what grade are you in? Fifth. Fifth grade, wow. So congratulations, Alexander. I present this to you as uh, appreciation for your time and this pin, wear it proudly. Thank you. We should have asked his mother to put on that pin because mothers do that much better than guys. So uh, <laughs> congratulations, Alexander, it's wonderful. Just a couple of other things to call to your attention as we uh, continue in our ministry together here at Church of the Palms. We have a new members class immediately after the service. So if you are a recent visitor or new visitor, would like to learn more about life here at Church of the Palms, come on over to the chapel right after the service and we'll have a class for you to learn more about our life together. We have a SHAPE class coming up in a couple of weeks, information in your bulletin about that. This is an opportunity for you to get in touch with sort of how God has wired you and how you might be called into ministry and service using your gifts. And we would love to have you come and explore that with us on February 20th and 21st. We've moved our library to a different room in the upstairs of the education building. So we invite you to go and take a look at that and perhaps use that wonderful resource that we have in our church library. Many of, uh, of you have already heard that we had to uh, postpone our uh, piano concert this afternoon, Tale of Two Pianos concert. We, uh, one of our performers had a little spill and so we had to uh, delay that for uh, a couple of weeks. So March the 29th will be the opportunity for you to come to that concert. If uh, you need to get more information about how you uh, keep, keep your ticket, use your ticket, that's found on page six of your bulletin as well. So take note of that. But we want to, we encourage you to come back and join us on March the 29th. Life's Difficult Questions resumes tonight at five o'clock. We'll be talking about some of the difficult questions of life and how scripture helps us to answer those questions. We are gr grateful to have Betsy Traba with us today over there. Thank you, Betsy, for joining us. And we're especially grateful to have Morgan Roberts with us this morning. Morgan is our uh, guest preacher and a dear friend of mine. He has uh, served the Presbyterian Church for a long time and has been in several pastorates. He is now the pastor emeritus of the Shadyside Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Morgan's been worshiping with us for years and uh, my brother has invited him to be the guest preacher at his church in Kansas twice already. So I have to catch up to my brother to have you here. So, uh, but uh, we're grateful to have Morgan uh, share with us from God's word this morning. We are in the midst of our stewardship season and we are in that time when we uh, are thinking and wondering about how we can be using our gifts for, the, for God's glory and to be echoes of generosity. And Bob Barson, who is the chair of our generosity team is here to share with you a little bit about, about the opportunity for next week. giving, Pastor Steve in the session invited us to join in taking up the challenge to fully fund our ministries here at Church of the Palms. A stewardship committee was formed and I was asked to share that committee. <clears throat> we now call it the generosity team. We follow the simple strategy of clearly communicating to you the status of the congregation's giving while using weekly bulletins, the e-news, and a quarterly newsletter to remind you of ways to give throughout the year. 
We had faith that this congregation's love of God and Jesus will lead us to respond to the needs as we communicated them. The result was a remarkable response of this church family <clears throat> allowed us to reach our goal fully, funding our ministries and oversubscribing our mission partners. It's no <clears throat> surprise that the scripture, and particularly Jesus, talks a lot about money. Just last week, in teaching was, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. 11 of the 39 parables of Jesus have to do with money and possessions. Such comments remind us of how much God has to say about money and also shows us how critical it is for us to pay attention to what God's word says about possessions and the pocketbook. One of the most quoted parables of the Bible dealing with stewardship is the story of the talents. You remember a man was going away on a journey and he trusted his property to three servants. To one he gave five talents, to one he gave three, and to one he gave one, to each according to their ability. Now most sermons I've heard on this parable have focused on the servant who received one and went and buried it. But I want to briefly talk about the servants who received five and two talents. We should always try to identify with someone in these parables. I don't think we have one talent members in this church. I think we have five and two talent members. We have been blessed by God so generously, and like the servants in the parable, we have worked hard, we have traded and invested, and only to be blessed by God with more. The question is, how may we echo God's generosity? I was raised in a loving family that did not go to church often. I only came to a regular worshiper at church when I started dating Marsha, my wife of 45 years. My dad was a mortgage banker. In those days, to get a mortgage loan, you needed to put 20% down on the cost. It, the, the cost of the mortgage couldn't exceed 35% of your monthly income, and you needed two personal references, one of which had to be your pastor. <laughs> so I was raised to handle money wisely. But it wasn't until I began to study the Bible and hear sermons on tithing that I began to understand how I was to respond to God's generosity. Along the journey, we decided that our giving was inadequate and we were committed to increasing our pledging. We started by increasing 1% uh, of our income per year. After a couple of years of faithfully doing this, we were confronted by God in a strange way. Unexpectedly, one of our investments was returned to us early in, in cash. It was just the right amount to help us reach our goal for giving that we were working towards. It was like God challenging our commitment and at the same time saying to us, come, enter into the joy of your master. If you have not uh, already, in the next few days you will receive the, your uh, commitment card. Uh, it is to be returned next, at next Sunday service. We also invite the seasonal guests to take home a commitment card from the pew rack and to join us this year in supporting the work of the Church of the Palms. As all of you review the commitment card, think about how this financial support echoes God's generosity. It is, is it resounding, resonating your love for Christ? I know many of you are on fixed income and are faithful in your stewardship. However, if you are able and decide you want to amplify your generosity, consider beginning the year to increase your giving by 1% of your income each year until you reach your goal. You will experience the joy of your master. 
Thank you for your generous support for the Church of the Palms. I'd like to invite our Honduras mission teams to come forward and stand up here on top of the steps, face out to our congregation. If you've been around uh, Church of the Palms for any period of time, you know that uh, our mission to Honduras is a very important part of our church's life and mission. Um, this is a ministry that began um, many years ago through the uh, call of Doug and Maxine Perry, who began a mission in Honduras, uh, an eye clinic, uh, to allow that to be an instrument through which we would bring the good news of Jesus Christ to bear upon people's lives and give us an opportunity to speak with great authenticity of the love and healing of Jesus Christ. And since then, our partnership has grown in many ways and in so many different facets. We have had the opportunity every year to go to Honduras and to reach out in many different ways, not, through the, not just through the eye clinic, but through opportunities of touching people's lives, uh, both children and adults alike. So we have before us uh, two different mission trips, and uh, the one trip is going down to uh, do some construction work at an orphanage in uh, El Progreso, uh, Honduras, and the other mission trip is going to support uh, our effort to provide a vacation Bible school in a local elementary school in that area. So how, how many of you are going on the building trip? Raise your hand. Excellent. Okay. So elbow grease is ready to go. All right, excellent. And how many will be doing the vacation Bible school? Wonderful. And this is not the full complement even of the trip. There are others who couldn't be with us this morning. So we are grateful for your call to uh, respond in this way, to uh, bring the good news of Jesus Christ into the lives of our brothers and sisters and neighbors in Honduras. We look forward to your uh, being about this work and to hearing your stories about what God has done through you in the midst of being, bringing the good news to bear upon the lives of children and adults and our brothers and sisters who are there, who yearn to know of the good news that we yearn to bring them through these good works and through our being with them and to helping them to find a relationship with Jesus Christ. So to that end, allow me to pray. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you that you have uh, brought these good people to this point of making this decision to respond to your call in a very specific way to go to Honduras. We thank you, O oh Lord, that you have allowed them to be in touch enough with their gifts to uh, take this risk of perhaps for some of them for the first time to go into a very new and strange land. And we know, Lord, that that brings a certain level of anxiety and we are grateful that they have responded nevertheless to use their gifts in this particular way. We pray that you will bless them and that you will fill them with your Holy Spirit and that you will allow them to be instruments of your spirit in the lives of those uh, people that they seek to work alongside of and seek to bring the good news to. And we thank you, Lord, that you uh, go ahead of them in this journey and we are grateful that we can count you to be with them and that you will encourage them and that you will strengthen them allow them never to know that they are alone but that they are always with you and that you are the one who will empower them to do the good things in and through your holy spirit so we pray that you will bless them and keep them and make your face to shine upon them and allow them to know that you are using them in great and powerful ways in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. 
who taught us all to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Go in peace and give these folks a round of applause as we encourage them in their mission. And now let us continue our worship through the presentation of our tithes and gifts and offerings.
pray. Gracious God, when 5,000 were before you, you took the lunch of a little boy, five loaves and two fish, and allowed them to feed a multitude. And we thank you, O Lord, that as we have brought these gifts to you, that may look maybe no more than five loaves and two fish, we trust that you will allow them to feed the multitude, that the world may know through our giving and through your spirit that you so love the world that you gave your only son. All this we pray in his name, amen. You may be seated. I'd like to invite all the children to come forward for the children's moment led by Laurie Haas. Thank you. Good morning. Oops, sorry. Are these Boy Scouts just awesome? Oh my gosh, it was so great. Good morning, good morning. So here's something for you to think about. Have you ever been on a picnic? Like where like you packed a lunch and ate outside? <laughs> Defining picnic for you there. Yes? Never, a yes, a picnic. What would you put in a picnic lunch? <gasps> Davis, what would you put? A sandwich. A sandwich. What else would you put? Yeah. A dessert. What kind of dessert? Chocolate pudding. Chocolate pudding. That's a good choice. Yeah, what else? Chocolate um, chocolate covered strawberries. Oh, that is my kind. Anything? So we've got some dessert. We've got some sandwiches. What else would you put? Um, chocolate. Um, <laughs> chocolate cake. Chocolate cake. We are on a theme. Caroline, can you help me out? Oranges. Oranges. Oh, some fruit. Jenny, what else? Water. Water. Oh, we got the drink covered. Alexander. Coke. Coke, yes. I th I have, okay, Olivia, one more. Strawberries. Strawberries without the chocolate on them, maybe. So the one, I always, okay, Sam, that's because you all got your Boy Scout uniform on today. Grape juice. Grape juice. Hey, Sydney. So I like something salty, too, so I usually like put some chips or something in my lunch. So if we had this picnic lunch, maybe for Alexander and I, we're going to go out on a picnic, would we have enough food in here to feed all these kids sitting on the steps? You think? Yeah, two sandwiches. What if we were going to feed all of these people out here? Do you think we'd have enough food in our basket? No. What if we wanted to feed the whole neighborhood? Would we have enough food in our basket? Heavens no. We don't, unless we tap into something that Jesus wants to teach us today. So Jesus and his disciples had been working really hard. They had been healing people, and they had been preaching and talking and teaching. They were tired. So they got into a boat, and they rowed across this lake all the way to the other side so they could relax, and they got there, and guess what they found? Thousands of people, people who wanted to be healed, people who wanted Jesus to talk to them and teach them. And you know what I would have done? I think I would have gotten back in the boat and started rowing backwards because I need some space and I needed to rest. But Jesus is, well, Jesus, he saw those people, and he had compassion and he started teaching them, and he started healing them. And it went on for so long that it's nighttime. They're starving. There is no McDonald's. There is no lunch that's right there that they could have. So one of the disciples, one of the smart ones, said, Hey, Jesus, you need to send these people away so they can go get some food. And Jesus said, Well, what do we have? And I bet it was a Boy Scout that actually offered up his lunch. And he said, I've got this, and that you could have this. And you know what was in this kid's lunch? Five barley loaves and two fish. 
that's it. And, and then, you know, I'm sure if they're wondering if they even understood what the thing was, what Jesus was talking about. And Jesus said, no, 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 that's enough. And you know, the first thing that Jesus did, he thanked God for the food that God provided. And then he handed it out to his disciples. They fed all of those people, every single person, and even more, they had 10 baskets, 12 baskets of food left over. Interesting, isn't it? It makes me think two things. One, with God, anything is possible. He is almighty. He is powerful. Anything at all is possible. And two, when we share with love, love multiplies. There's more than enough. Just try it. Share love and watch how it multiplies. Will you pray with me? Gracious God, we thank you for the abundant and plentiful gifts that you give each one of us. Help us, Lord, to share those gifts. Help us to give that love in your name and watch it multiply. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
from the 14th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew, we're going to read the, the story of some major miracles. Of course, all miracles are kind of major, but some are bigger than others. And I'm wondering as I read these, how each of you process these in your mind. It would be interesting if we could have some audience participation, take a microphone and you, you tell us how you think about these, how you work these out in your mind. Now there would be some people, I'm sure, who would say, what's the problem? Once you believe in the resurrection of the dead, every, all the miracles are easy. But there are other people who are more visual and they say, well, I'd like to believe these, I want to believe these, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I can't picture it in, in my mind. I mean, what happened when Jesus blessed the loaves and fishes? Did they suddenly explode in size? Or did each person take a little bit and it sort of exploded in nutritional value? Uh, I can't picture it. And so what they do, and it's a perfectly legitimate thing, is they take these stories and they put them in a drawer marked awaiting further light. <laughs> you know, we need to remember that persons of good faith, people who are trying to follow Jesus, think in different ways. And then remember that the Christian life is not about how we think as much as about how we live. Whatever the scripture lesson on a given Sunday morning, the real question is how we take what we hear from scripture on Sunday morning and connect it to how we live on Monday morning. Now let's hear these words. Now when Jesus heard this, this being the beheading of John the Baptist, he withdrew from there in a boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from the towns. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion for them and cured their sick. When it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a deserted place and the hour is now late. Send the crowds away so that they may go into the villages and buy food for themselves. Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples. And the disciples gave them to the crowds and all ate and were filled and they took up what was left of, over the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides women and children. Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone, but by this time the boat, battered by the waves, was far from the land, for the wind was against them. 
And early in the morning, he came walking toward them on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out in fear, but immediately Jesus spoke to them and said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Jesus said, come. So Peter got out of the boat, started walking on the water, and came toward Jesus, that when he noticed the strong wind, he became frightened. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. By the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, write your words upon our hearts and enable us to translate them into our daily lives. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. <clears throat> I don't know where I heard this story. I suspect that it was sent to me by one of my former students. It's a story about violinist Joshua Bell. Back in 2007, he was concertizing in Washington, D.C., and the Washington Post came up with an idea. They had Bell go into the subway dressed as a musician who was down on his luck. He leaned against the wall, a little box in front of him to collect whatever change Peter, people might throw into the box, and he played on a three-and-a-half million dollar Stradivarius for 45 minutes. He played six difficult, glorious compositions. All of this was being recorded by a hidden camera. In the 45 minutes, 1,097 people passed by. 27 dropped their change into the box and walked on. Now this is someone for whose concerts one might pay up to $100 a ticket. 27 dropped their change and walked on. How many stayed long enough to listen? Seven. You know, you never know when you're in the presence of greatness. Appearances can be deceiving. You may be in the presence of a great person and never know it. When I first heard this story, I glanced across the room uh, at a small framed copy of a woodcut by Fritz Eichenberg. I had seen it back in the 1950s on the front page of the little newspaper, The Catholic Worker, and I've kept it by me ever since. It depicts a Depression-era breadline, a group of poor bedraggled folks standing in line at a soup kitchen waiting for the daily dole of soup and bread or whatever. It's evidently freezing cold, and they keep their garments wrapped around them. Standing in line with them, unnoticed, a halo around his head, is none other than Jesus. 
You just never know when Jesus may be standing in some line. And the line probably, if we take his promise in Matthew 25 seriously, where he said, wherever people are really hungry, I'm going to be there with them, the line is probably more often one at Walmart than at Lord and Taylor. You never, you just never know when. Now the moral of this story can work two ways. Uh, you can be in the presence of greatness and never know it. In my days in Princeton, every once in a while you'd see this uh, shaggy character walking on the street, uh, gray hair sort of uh, unkempt and flying in the wind, baggy uh, sweatshirt and jeans, wearing what looked like house slippers shuffling along. Looked like someone who might have escaped from the lockdown unit of a nursing home. <laughs> you wouldn't know that this was the theoretical physicist whose discoveries had changed the world in which we live. It was Albert Einstein. The difficulty, however, is when we come across someone impossible who all of a sudden does something amazing. You never know when you're in the presence of greatness. But the really difficult thing, the miracle that's hard to translate into your life in this passage, is Peter walking upon the water. True, he did it only for a few seconds, but he did it. And he's the most impossible of the disciples. Uh, page, a few pages on in the Gospel of Matthew, and he's going to deny Jesus and deny him very deliberately. And yet he is the one, impossible Peter, who all of a sudden walks on water. And that's the one that we find difficult to believe in our daily life because every so often, someone who is impossible, or at least very ordinary, all of a sudden does what's extraordinary. We can't believe that. We say, he, he couldn't have done that. She couldn't have accomplished that. That, it, that. That's just not possible. It's hard to believe in the impossible people. In fact, when you think about Peter, you wonder, did Je was Jesus really a good judge of character? Why on earth did he choose someone like Peter? Several years ago, I was up in visiting my oldest daughter in Lewiston, New York. It's, a, it's an old town on the Niagara River, uh, downstream from the falls, uh, not far from where the Niagara flows into Lake Ontario. It used to be the end point uh, for part of the Underground Railroad. Uh, runaway slaves would be hidden in the homes of the good people of Lewiston and then under cover of night rode across the river to freedom in Canada. I was on the main street shopping and it was freezing cold and I wasn't dressed warmly enough and I was looking for a place just to duck in out of the cold, and what I found was St. Peter's Roman Catholic Church. In the middle of the afternoon, no one was there, and I saw there uh, a plain and simple but amazing stained glass window. It depicted that moment when Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. Now, in the stained glass window, Jesus is in the foreground with his back to us. It is as though we are standing next to him, seeing what he sees. About 25 feet away, let's say, there's Peter, dressed in the ragged clothing of a poor fisherman 
who with his people is suffering under the crushing taxation of the Roman Empire. We see what Jesus sees, we see what Peter cannot see. And what you see on the far horizon is just the faint outline of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. Peter couldn't possibly believe it, that miles and centuries away, in the very heart of that empire that is oppressing his people, there will be this magnificent edifice to the glory of Christ, bearing Peter's name. Jesus saw what was on the horizon of Peter's life. For that matter, Jesus sees what is on the horizon of every life. There are no ordinary people. On the horizon of every life, your life, every life, there is something magnificent that Jesus sees and wants to accomplish on every life's horizon. Well, let's leave Rome and, and go to New York City. My wife, Nora, was brought up in Midtown Manhattan on East 43rd Street. Her father was the pastor of the Middle Collegiate Reformed Church down at 2nd Avenue and 7th Street. I guess it's the oldest continuously worshiping congregation in the country. That, that church has been worshiping without a break since 1628 when it was organized. Her father, Dr. Ernest Palin, uh, probably his greatest accomplishment was simply holding things together in the 1940s when people were fleeing the city for the suburbs. But he held them together until Greenwich Village began to move eastward, bringing with it young families, young people, particularly artists, musicians, actors, actresses, uh, today, it's a vibrant congregation. Uh, Sunday morning worship looks like uh, the United Nations at prayer. The other great accomplishment of Nora's father is probably unknown or forgotten. When Nora was a little girl growing up in the 40s, there was a little kid who used to play on the street near the church. And Dr. Palin would talk to him. He seemed to be a bright kid. Uh, ask him about school, encourage him to study, and uh, eventually invite him, come to our Sunday school. Come be a part of our, of our children, our youth choir. And then later on, come and be a part of our youth group. Nora remembers him as a wonderful dancer in his teen years. Dr. Palin was not going to give up on Murray because his life as a teenager was very difficult. He worked for his mother, and his mother was a prostitute, and his job was to solicit customers for her. But Nora's dad stuck with him, kept telling him, study, get your marks, and finally he got a scholarship for him to Rutgers, room and board as houseboy for the dean of men, and there in college, Murray blossomed, so much so that upon graduation, he went on to medical school. 
he became a respected diagnostician, prominent doctor of the in internal medicine in New York City. Whenever Nora tells the story, she says, if just one person believes in you, it can make all the difference. You just never know when. So what do you think it was that Jesus saw in Peter? That's the whole sermon by itself. I think he knew that Peter was going to fail miserably, that he was really going to blow it and betray him. But he needed someone like that because it is those who fail miserably who learn to live mercifully. You know, we're here this morning because of Peter. You know that? Most of us, with a few exceptions, are Gentiles. But in the earliest moments of the Christian church, there was no intention of bringing Gentiles into it. There was no mission planned. In fact, some opposed it. But it was Peter who was so grateful for being forgiven that he became the one to open the door to us Gentiles. And he went up, and you can read about it in Acts 10. It's a whole sermon by itself. He went up to the household of the Roman centurion Cornelius, and there in that household he said, I see now how true it is that God has no favorites. In every nation, those who fear him and do what is right are accepted by him. Peter was so glad to be forgiven, had so experienced redeeming, forgiving grace that he wanted to share it with the world. He was the one that said, y'all come. That's why we are here this morning. So as you hear this, let me ask you this. What do you think is on the horizon of your life? Now I can hear some saying, well, uh, I'm retired. I've done my thing. I asked my mother once why we didn't go to church. She said, well, we put in our time earlier. <laughs> <coughs> but that's just, re that's just retirement from your life's work. There's no retirement from discipleship. Maybe the most important thing you'll ever do in your life is on the horizon waiting for you to do right now. You know, you could make all the difference in the life of some child if you became part of the tutoring program of this church or some other tutoring program. You can read and write and spell and add and subtract. You could be all the difference. And if you can't do that, you've got extra money. I can tell you've got extra money just by the way the women are dressed here this morning. <laughs> <coughs> Now, as for you, uh, as for you guys, uh, you're not wearing your proper Presbyterian necktie. <laughs> you may be forgiven for that <laughs> after you have worn a necktie for a thousand years in purgatory. <laughs> <coughs> but you've got time, you've got talent, you've got money. And God is waiting for you to do something maybe bigger than you've ever done in your life. Remember what Dorothy Day said once, it's the best rule of stewardship that I can imagine. Whatever I have that I don't really need belongs to someone else. And that refers not just to the old clothes in your closet, but to your time and your talents 
and your money. If you take nothing else away this morning, take away this prayer, Jesus, show me what's on the horizon of my life. And before we end this question, what about the impossible person in your life? Who is it in whom you can't believe? Who is it that's betrayed you? You could never believe in them again. Well, you know, sorry to tell you, the measure of your love for them is the measure of your love for Jesus. You can't love him and not love them. It's even worse than that. Jesus says, love your enemies. Love the people who are persecuting you. Be merciful even as your Father in heaven is merciful. The kind of Christianity that won the heart of the Roman Empire was that of those early Christians who went on loving the people who were feeding them to the lions, burning them up, beheading them, and refusing to give up because Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Jesus never gave up on anyone, never gives up, and neither can we. So walk cheerfully over the world, as, as Quaker George Fox said. Walk cheerfully over the world, answering that of God in everyone. Or be like that doorkeeper at the Benedictine Monastery in Dakota. Every time he sees some impossible character coming toward the door of, of the monastery to get food, clothing, shelter, he says, oh Jesus, is that you again? And I'll try to practice what I preach. And Monday afternoon, Tuesday and Wednesday, I'll go back and tutor my, my student, my eighth grader, Carlos San Juan. His mother picks in the fields. She can't speak English. She can't even read or write Spanish. There's no father at home. There's little brother Jorge. He's good at math. He's coming along in English grammar probably can answer more questions about the American Revolution than you can this morning. I don't know what the future holds for him, but I'm not going to give up, and you know why. <laughs> you never know when. God bless you.
Now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit rest and abide with you now and forevermore. Amen. Amen.